2. Hold in that breath for a count of 4. 3. Slowly exhale all the air through your mouth, contracting your stomach, for a count of 4. 4. Hold the empty breath for a count of 4. We don't take enough deep breaths at work. We don't pause enough and check our body. I'm a breath holder, and sometimes, when things get really hectic and I'm in firefighting mode at the office, I just stop and trace a square on my desk, in 4-4, hold 4-4, out 4-4, hold 4-4. I swear just two or three of these breathing sessions rewires me. I even taught my kids and students how to do it. Breathing is also the key to another strategy for reckoning with emotion, and one of the most underrated leadership superpowers, practicing calm. I define calm as creating perspective and mindfulness, while managing emotional reactivity. Calm is a superpower, because it is the bomb that heals one of the most prevalent workplace stressors, anxiety. When it comes to anxiety, my greatest teacher is psychologist Harriet Lerner. In her book The Dance of Connection, Dr. Lerner explains that we all have patterned ways of managing anxiety, some of us respond by overfunctioning and others by underfunctioning. Overfunctioners, like myself, tend to move quickly to advise, rescue, take over, micromanage, and get in other people's business rather than look inward. Underfunctioners tend to get less competent under stress. They sometimes invite others to take over and often become the focus of family gossip, worry, or concern. They can get labeled as the irresponsible one or the problem child or the fragile one. Drive. Lerner explains that seeing these behaviors as patterned responses to anxiety, rather than truths about who we are can help us understand that we can change. For those of us who overfunction, our work is to become more willing to embrace our vulnerabilities in the face of anxiety. For folks who underfunction, the goal is to work on amplifying strengths and competencies. Whether we over or underfunction, practicing calm creates the clearing we need to get emotionally grounded. The bad news is that anxiety is one of the most contagious emotions that we experience. This explains why anxiety can so easily become a function of groups, not individuals. It's too contagious to stay contained in one person. We've all had the experience of one person sending a group into a tailspin. The good news? Calm is equally contagious. Over the past 20 years, the most proficient practitioners of calm that I've interviewed all talked about the important and weird combination of breathing and curiosity. They talked about taking deep breaths before responding to questions or asking them, slowing down the pace of a frantic conversation by modeling slow speech, breathing, and fact-finding, and even intentionally taking a few breaths before asking themselves a version of these two questions. 1. Do I have enough information to freak out about this situation? 2. If I do have enough data, will freaking out help? In addition to curiosity and breathing, don't forget permission slips. Sometimes we have to give ourselves permission to feel them dash especially, if we come from a family where exploring and discussing emotion was either explicitly off-limits or just not modeled. Imagine how different my conversation with Steve would have been, if I had paid attention to my anger and hurt, taken a few deep breaths, and become curious. The rumble, conspiracies, confabulations, and shitty first drafts. If the reckoning is, how we walk into a tough story, the rumble is, where we go to the mat with it and own it. The rumble starts with this universal truth, in the absence of data, we will always make up stories. It's, how we are wired. Meaning making is in our biology, 
and when we are in struggle, our default is often to come up with a story that makes sense of what's happening and gives our brain information on how best to self-protect. And it happens a hundred times a day at work. Our organizations are littered with stories that people make up because they don't have access to information. If you've ever led a team through change, you know how much time, money, energy, and engagement bad stories cost. Robert Burden, a neurologist and novelist, explains that our brains reward us with dopamine, that aha moment, when we recognize and complete patterns. Stories are patterns. The brain recognizes the familiar beginning middle end structure of a story and rewards us for clearing up the ambiguity. Unfortunately, the brain rewards us for a good story and one with clear good guys and bad guys and regardless of the accuracy of the story. The promise of that aha. I've solved it. Sensation can seduce us into shutting down the uncertainty and vulnerability that are often necessary for getting to the truth. The brain is not a big fan of ambiguous stories that leave unanswered questions and a big tangle of possibilities. The brain has no interest in maybe I have a part or am I blowing this out of proportion? The part of the brain that goes into protection mode likes binaries, good guy or bad guy? Dangerous or safe? Ally or enemy? Burden writes, because we are compelled to make stories, we are often compelled to take incomplete stories and run with them. He goes on to say that even with a half story in our minds, we earn a dopamine reward every time it helps us understand something in our world M-dash, even if that explanation is incomplete or wrong. The first story we make up is what we call the shitty first draft, or the SFD. If you're not comfortable with shitty, I call it the stormy first draft with kids. They totally get this concept and love talking about their SFDs, because, after a hard experience, it gives them the opportunity to confirm that we love them and that they still belong. The idea of a shitty first draft comes from Anne Lamott's exceptional book on writing, Bird by Bird. She writes, The only way I can get anything written at all is to write really, really shitty first drafts. The first draft is the child's draft, where you let it all pour out and then let it romp all over the place, knowing that no one is going to see it and that you can shape it later. When it comes to our emotions, the first stories we make up m-our SFDs m-are definitely our fears and insecurities romping all over the place, making up worst-case scenarios. For example, Steve is a total jerk. He doesn't think I'm capable of running my business and being a great partner and mother. He's sick of me and the stress. The past 30 years have been a giant lie. Instead of plowing into the kitchen like a bull in an emotional china shop, I wish I had noticed my reaction to the ham comment and become curious about the emotions enveloping me. Had I taken the time to surface my SFD I could have walked in and said, I heard the ham comment, and the story I'm telling myself is that you're sick of me and all of the stress of my work right now. I've known Steve for more than 30 years, and I'm 99% confident that he would have pulled me in for a hug and said, I know you're overwhelmed. What can we do? Yes, the conflict worked out okay, but relationships can take only a certain amount of what I pulled in the kitchen before they're affected by it. In our SFDs, fear fills in the data gaps. What makes that scary is that stories based on limited real data and plentiful imagined data, blended into a coherent, emotionally satisfying version of reality, are called conspiracy theories. Yes, we are all conspiracy theorists with our own stories, constantly filling in data gaps with our fears and insecurities. 
In work cultures, where there's a lot of change and confusion afoot, teams go crazy with SFDs. However, if you are operating in a culture of courage, you give people as many facts as you can, and when you can't tell them everything, you acknowledge that you're telling them as much as you can and that you will continue to keep them in the loop with information, as you have access to it and have permission to share. Clear is kind. And clarity absolutely reduces story-making and conspiracy theories. Daring leaders ask for SFDs. They create the time, space, and safety for people to reality check their stories. In the past, when we've had to let people go, we've met privately with the immediate team affected, made the announcement to the larger group, then invited people to come see us during a blocked out time to talk, ask questions, and check SFDs. Keep in mind, you can spend a reasonable amount of time attending to feelings and fears, and conspiracy theories, or you can squander an unreasonable time managing unproductive behaviors. In addition to attending to conspiracy theories, we also have to watch for confabulations. Confabulation has a really great and subtle definition, a confabulation is a lie told honestly. To confabulate is to replace missing information with something false that we believe to be true. In his book The Storytelling Animal, Jonathan Gottskull explains that there's growing evidence that ordinary, mentally healthy people are strikingly prone to confabulate in everyday situations. In one of my favorite studies described in his book, a team of psychologists asked shoppers to choose a pair of socks from a set of seven pairs and then to give their reasons for choosing that particular pair. Every shopper explained their choice based on subtle differences in color, texture, and stitching. No shopper said, I don't know why this is my choice, or I have no idea why I picked that one. All of them had a full story that explained their decision. But here's the kicker, all of the socks were identical. Gottskull explains that all of the shoppers told stories that made their decisions seem rational. But they really weren't. He writes, the stories were confabulations and dash lies, honestly told. Confabulation shows up at work, when we share what we believe is factual information, but it's really just our opinion. It's, when I look at my colleague and say, we are all getting laid off in September. This whole group is being shut down and let go. Everyone panics and asks me, how I know. I know, I heard, I know it's true. The information might have no basis in truth, none at all, it's a confabulation. I believe it's true, but it's really my fear, combined with what might be a little bit of data. And it's dangerous. With the SFD we need to stop and capture that first story, that conspiracy, that confabulation, that scribbled mess in our heads. Oh, my god, she looked at me like that in the meeting, because she doesn't trust me. She thinks my ideas are stupid, and she is probably plotting to get me taken off this project. It is incredibly important to grab hold of those, before the myth-making gets completely out of control. Today, I try to use my phone to capture my SFD before I act on it. I write it out, when I have the opportunity simply, because 70% of the risers we interviewed write down their SFDs. Nothing elaborate, just some variation of the story I'm making up, my emotions, my body, my thinking, my beliefs, my actions. James Pennebaker, a researcher at the University of Texas at Austin, has found that, because our minds are designed to try to understand things that happen to us, translating messy, difficult experiences into language essentially makes them graspable. Storytelling is another vehicle for sharing the story you're making up.
If you have a friend or colleague you trust who has the skills and patience to listen, you can talk through your SFD. Writing down your SFD doesn't give it power M-it gives us power. It gives us the opportunity to say, does this even make sense? Does this look right? Writing slows the winds and calms the seas. And if you're completely mortified by the thought of someone finding your SFD because it's blammy, pissy, immature, and a full-on rant, you've done it well. Unfiltered is powerful when it comes to the SFD. The author Margaret Atwood writes, When you are in the middle of a story, it isn't a story at all, but only a confusion, a dark roaring, a blindness, a wreckage of shattered glass and splintered wood, like a house in a whirlwind, or else a boat crushed by the icebergs or swept over the rapids, and all aboard are powerless to stop it. It's only afterwards that it becomes anything like a story at all. When you are telling it, to yourself or to someone else. To move from what Atwood calls a wreckage of shattered glass and splintered wood to a true story that you can address, these are the questions that risers need to rumble with. 1. What more do I need to learn and understand about the situation? What do I know objectively? What assumptions am I making? 2. What more do I need to learn and understand about the other people in the story? What additional information do I need? What questions or clarifications might help? Now we get to the more difficult questions M-the ones that take courage and practice to answer. 3. What more do I need to learn and understand about myself? What's underneath my response? What am I really feeling? What part did I play? Answering number 1 and number 2 means having the courage to address the conspiracies and confabulations. Answering number 3 requires emotional literacy M-being able to recognize and name emotions M-the same skill set required in empathy and self-compassion. Imagine how powerful it would be to catch ourselves making up an SFD rumble with it for a few minutes, then check it out with a colleague, hey. Tough meeting today. You were quiet, and I'm making up that you were pissed about your team having to do all of the work for the next sprint. Can we talk about that? For your information, if you walked up to me and said that, my trust and respect for you would skyrocket. Let's say my response is no, I'm not mad at all. I'm exhausted. Charlie's sick and he was throwing up all night. But I appreciate you checking in. This gives you the opportunity to practice empathy, I'm sorry. That's hard. Can I get you a cup of coffee? Now let's walk through the situation of this alternate reply, yes. I'm super frustrated. This is not our project and we don't have the resources to own the work. It's total bullshit. This gives you the opportunity to say, okay, let's sit down and talk about it. Win-win. Either way, this is connecting and trust building. It sounds like a cure for lunatic behavior, but this making up stories and conspiracy theories is something we all do. Gottskall writes, conspiracy is not limited to the stupid, the ignorant, or the crazy. It is a reflex of the storytelling mind's compulsive need for meaningful experience. The problem is that rather than rumbling with vulnerability and staying in uncertainty, we start to fill in the blanks with our fears and worst-case scenario planning. I love this line from Gottskall, to the conspiratorial mind, shit never just happens. The power of the story I'm telling myself is that it reflects a very real part of what it means to be a meaning-making human. It's disarming, because it's honest. We all do it. This is why it works across diverse environments and with all people. 
For example, we recently facilitated the daring leadership program at Shell, with an elite deep-sea engineering team called SURF, subsea umbilical risers and flow lines. Guotarnju, or GT as he's more commonly known, bravely led his executive leadership team through the work. Like GT who has a PhD. In aerospace engineering, most of the leaders were engineers or project managers. Part of the focus of our work together was examining how their leaders give performance feedback or lead setback debriefs as directives rather than facilitating conversations that lead to a deeper understanding of skill gaps, communication issues, and structural barriers. After spending time drilling down on the differences between systemic vulnerability which is not good, and relational vulnerability which is a prerequisite for courageous leadership, the team started building skills that enabled them to engage in difficult conversations with one another and their direct reports. Speaking to this new skill set, GT writes, We have been able to achieve more constructive performance feedback sessions after learning the rising skills of reality checking the stories we all make up during conflicts or setbacks. Circling back also allows us to gain clarity and minimize the negative emotion that often frames the feedback process. By surfacing dilemmas swiftly and constructively, leaders can help resolve conflicts in a timely manner. This is critically important given the complex and high-risk environments where we work. Without real conversation around feedback, there is less learning and more defensiveness. Because it's human nature to turn on some level of self-protection when dealing with setbacks and receiving feedback, it's important to circle back with employees to ensure that the intention of the message matched what was actually heard, and to reality check SFDs. And for organizations that use a forced ranking system in employee evaluations, it's essential to create a culture in which circling back and checking out stories is safe and built into the evaluation process. You can do this by scheduling two meetings M-1 for the initial conversation and one for the story checking. Another example comes from Melinda Gates, whom you met earlier. Melinda is someone who often sees curiosity and asking the right questions as a leadership superpower, and her story resonated deeply with me. She writes, For the longest time, the story I was making up was that expert is ignoring me or condescending to me because I'm not Bill. But after years of feeling that sting, I started to realize that something else was underneath. I was worried that I didn't know enough science to lead world-renowned experts in global health. And it kept me from asking questions and from fully engaging. I was feeling like an imposter in a new field in which I didn't have a degree. Once I was able to face the fact of my insecurity, I was able to start chipping away at it. What I now believe is, I know just the right amount, enough to ask good questions, and not so much as to be distracted by minute details. Rewriting that story means, that I feel confident. Asking seemingly stupid questions, because I've learned that they are rarely stupid and often the most important ones to raise. Both of these are great examples of finding the courage to own hard stories so we can write new endings. In addition to affecting trust and connection in relationships and teams, the stories we tell ourselves can also crush our self-worth. The three most dangerous stories we make up are the narratives that diminish our lovability, divinity, and creativity. The reality check around our lovability, just because someone isn't willing or able to love us, it doesn't mean that we are unlovable. The reality check around our divinity, no person is ordained to judge our divinity or to write the story of our spiritual worthiness. 
the reality check around our creativity, just because we didn't measure up to some standard of achievement doesn't mean that we don't possess gifts and talents that only we can bring to the world. And just because someone failed to see the value in what we can create or achieve doesn't change its worth or ours. The delta the difference m dash the delta m dash between what we make up about our experiences and the truth we discover through the process of rumbling is where the meaning and wisdom of this experience live. The delta holds our key learnings m dash we just have to be willing to walk into our stories and rumble. In the hamfold over debacle, I had to rumble with shame, vulnerability, and trust. My key learnings, one, when I'm struggling and things are falling apart, I'm much more likely to shame and blame myself. I can't think of even one instance where Steve has done that to me. Two, I have to get better at asking for help. Three, I sometimes offload emotion m-i'm especially good at bouncing hurt with anger. Because I had the I'm making this up tool and was starting to put. What I had learned researching rising strong into practice, Steve and I were able to take an angry almost fight during an extremely stressful time and turn it into a moment of connection and trust. As we start to integrate what we learn from the learning to rise process into our lives, we get better at rumbling. In our office, we probably check the stories we are making up with each other ten times a day. Now it's shortened to I'm making up that they're still holding the red line, because their lawyers haven't reviewed it yet, or I'm making up that no one is going to want to sit through that presentation on Friday afternoon. It's so much more honest, vulnerable, and disarming than making proclamations that are really just conjecture. Personally, I have found that sometimes the learning to rise process takes five minutes to get from FASA down in the arena to the Delta to key learnings M dash but sometimes it takes five days, and for the big life stuff it can take months. The more you practice rumbling with vulnerability, the better and faster you get. When we own a story and the emotion that fuels it, we get to simultaneously acknowledge that something was hard, while taking control of how that hard thing is going to end. We change the narrative. When we deny a story, and when we pretend we don't make up stories, the story owns us. It drives our behavior, and it drives our cognition, and then it drives even more emotions until it completely owns us. The story rumble one of the most useful applications of the learning to rise process is how we can use it when an organization, or a group within an organization, experiences a conflict or a failure or a fall. We call this the story rumble. Everyone who reads this book and puts the work into practice will have the basic tools for the story rumble. If necessary, you can even train people to facilitate the process or bring in one of our certified dare-to-lead facilitators to help. We've used this in the wake of failure to understand and address growing frustration and resentment on a team and across teams, and, most recently, to get to the bottom of a major project stall. This is the story rumble process, bring as many of the courage building tools, skills, and practices we've discussed into the room, as you can m-especially shared language, curiosity, grounded confidence, your integrity, your values, and the trust you're building. You'll need them all, and you'll marvel at how they pay off. 1. Let's set the intention for the rumble and make sure we are clear about why we are rumbling. 2. What does everyone need to engage in this process with an open heart and mind? Container building is important, even if there's established trust in the group. 3. What will get in the way of you showing up? 4. Here's how we commit to showing up, from number 2 and number 3. 5. Let's each share one permission slip.
more container and trust building. 6. What emotions are people experiencing? Let's put it out there, and let's name emotions. 7. What do we need to get curious about? Building more trust and grounded confidence by staying curious. 8. What are your SFDs? The turn and learn is very helpful here. These are vulnerable rumbles, and having someone with more influence go first, versus having everyone write their thoughts down and put them up on the wall at the same time, can change the outcome for the worse. 9. What do our SFDs tell us about our relationships? About our communication? About leadership? About the culture? About what's working and what's not working? Stay curious, learn to resist needing to know. 10. Where do we need to rumble? What lines of inquiry do we need to open to better understand what's really happening and to reality check our conspiracy theories and confabulations? 11. What's the delta between those first SFDs and the new information we are gathering in the rumble? 12. What are the key learnings? 13. How do we act on the key learnings? 14. How do we integrate these key learnings into the culture and leverage them, as we work on new strategies? What is one thing each of us will take responsibility for embedding? 15. When is the circle back? Let's regroup so we can check back in and hold ourselves and one another accountable for learning and embedding. Own the story and you get to write the ending. Deny the story and it owns you. The revolution. I'm not afraid of the word revolution, I'm afraid of a world that's becoming less courageous and authentic. I've always believed that in a world full of critics, cynics, and fearmongers, taking off the armor and rumbling with vulnerability, living into our values, braving trust with open hearts, and learning to rise so we can reclaim authorship of our own stories and lives is the revolution. Courage is rebellion. In fact, in 2010, I wrote, Revolution might sound a little dramatic, but in this world, choosing authenticity and worthiness is an absolute act of resistance. Choosing to live and love with our whole hearts is an act of defiance. You're going to confuse, piss off, and terrify lots of people um, dash including yourself. One minute you'll pray that the transformation stops, and the next minute you'll pray that it never ends. You'll also wonder how you can feel so brave and so afraid at the same time. At least that's how I feel most of the time ellipsis points brave, afraid, and very, very alive. If you asked me to boil down everything I've learned from this research, I would tell you these three things. 1. The level of collective courage in an organization is the absolute best predictor of that organization's ability to be successful in terms of its culture, to develop leaders, and to meet its mission. 2. The greatest challenge in developing brave leaders is helping them acknowledge and answer their personal call to courage. Courage can be learned, if we are willing to put down our armor and pick up the shared language, tools, and skills we need for rumbling with vulnerability, living into our values, braving trust, and learning to rise. 3. We fail the minute we let someone else define success for us. Like many of you, I spent too many years taking on projects and even positions, just to prove I could do it. I was driven by a definition of success that didn't reflect who I am, what I want, or what brings me joy. It was simply accomplish, acquire, collapse, repeat. There was very little joy, very little meaning, and tons of exhaustion and resentment. In The Gifts of Imperfection, I wrote about the importance of a joy and meaning list and the power of actually thinking through these questions. When things are going really well in our family, what does it look like? 
What brings us the most joy? When are we in our zone? For my family, the answers included things like sleep, working out, healthy food, cooking, time off, weekends away, going to church, being present with the kids, a sense of control over our money, date nights, meaningful work that doesn't consume us, time to piddle, time with family and close friends, giving back, and time to just hang out and dash real white space. What was shocking for me and Steve was comparing this list to how we had defined success, there was no time for joy and meaning. Because we were too busy achieving. And we were achieving so we could buy more joy and meaning, but those require time, and time m that precious and renewable resource m is not for sale. Make your joy and meaning list and make sure that you use it, as you define success for yourself. I stray from my list way too often, and I'm still adding to it m-it's a lifelong practice. But it's been the best filter for making choices when bright and shiny opportunities come my way. Now, I can ask myself, if taking something on moves me closer to what brings me joy and meaning. This alone is a revolutionary act. As you think about your own path to daring leadership, remember Joseph Campbell's wisdom, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. Own the fear, find the cave, and write a new ending for yourself, for the people you are meant to serve and support, and for your culture. Choose courage over comfort. Choose whole hearts over armor. And choose the great adventure of being brave and afraid. At the exact same time. To my friend Charles Kelly, Who would have thought we'd go from waiting tables, to selling copies of my first, self-published book out of the extra room in your house, to working and leading together today. I couldn't have done it without you. Number outrageous number ping pong number play some cheap. Acknowledgements. More than any other book I've written, this one was a serious crash and a huge team effort. Everyone on these pages has touched this book in a significant way. I am deeply grateful. The Berg team to Ellen Alley, Suzanne Beryl, Cookie Boker, Rhonda Deering, Linda Durage, Lauren Emerson, Margarita Flores, Sidney Ganny, Barrett Gillen, Sarah Margaret Hamman, Zara Javed, Jessica Kent, Charles Kelly, Hannah Kimbrough, Brian Longoria, Murdoch McKinnon, Madalena Bernizer, Julia Pollock, Taffy Riznick, Dean Rogers, Ashley Brown Rillis, Teresa Sample, Catherine Schultz, Anne Stober, Tyler Sweden, Meredith Tompkins, and Genia Williams. Keep being brave, serving the work, and taking good care. You make me a braver person and I learn from all of you every single day. Thank you. Number 4 Quido to Murdoch, let's do the damn thing. The Random House team to my editor, Ben Greenberg, thank you for making me laugh and helping me make sense of my thoughts and words. Charlie normally doesn't like it when I go into book writing mode, but now he just wants you to come back to Houston so y'all can eat torchies and play Fortnite. To the Random House team of Janice Intrello, Susan Camel, Andy Ward, Molly Turpin, Teresa Zorro, Maria Brickle, Melissa Sanford, Erin Richards, Lee Marchant, Jessica Bonnet, Benjamin Dreer, Lauren Novak, Susan Turner, Joe Perez, Sandris Jerson, Emily D. Huff, Lisa Fuhr, and Karen Zikonski, it's a great privilege to work with such a wholehearted team. Thank you. To Elise Lonan, deeply grateful for your gifts. I know it's all brains, hard work, and practice, but you make it feel like magic. The William Morris Endeavor team to my agent and friend, Jennifer Rudolph Walsh, thank you for always believing. Number pickles to Tracy Fisher and the entire team at William Morris Endeavor, I'm grateful for the guidance and grind.
The Design Haas Team to Wendy Hauser, Mike Hauser, Jason Courtney, Daniel Stewart, Kristen Harrelson, Julie Severns, Anika Anderson, Kyle Kennedy, thank you for the rumbles and the art. I'm proud of our partnership and the work we do together. To Christine and Iert, thank you for rocking it. Our house is your house. The Newman and Newman crew thanks to Kelly Newman, Linda Tauber, Kurt Lang, Raul Cassers, Boyderuk Mays, Van Williams, Mitchell Ely, John Lenz, Tom Francis, and Dorothy Stroudel. The home team love and thanks to Dean Rogers and David Robinson, Molly May and Chuck Brown, Jacobina Alley, Corky and Jack Chrissy, Ashley and M.A. Ruiz, Barrett, Frankie, and Gabby Gillen, Jason and Lila. Brown, Jen, David, Larkin, and Pierre Selly, Shif Burhanu, Nagash Burhanu, Margarita Flores, and Sarah Margaret Hammond. To Polly Koch, I miss you. To Ashley and Barrett, I never take for granted that we get to work together every day. Thank you for laughing with me and keeping it uncomfortably real. To Steve, Ellen, and Charlie, you are my heart. To Lucy, you are my weird dog. And my heart. Notes. A note from Breen. It was like reading Old Hat, New Hat, Stan and January Berenstein, Old Hat, New Hat, New York, Random House, Bright and Early Books, 1970. In 2010, two years after that event, Breen Brown, The Gifts of Imperfection, Let Go of Who You Think You're Supposed to Be and Embrace Who You Are, Center City, Minnesota, Hazelden, 2010. Two years after that, Breen Brown, Daring Greatly How the Courage to Be Vulnerable Transforms the Way We Live, Love, Parent, and Lead, New York, Gotham Books, 2012. The Epigraph of Daring Greatly, Theodore Roosevelt, Citizenship in a Republic, Speech at the Sorbonne, Paris, April 23, 1910. My TEDx Houston Talk, Breen Brown, The Power of Vulnerability, filmed June 2010 in Houston, Texas, TEDx Houston Video, 2013. Ted.com slash talks slash Breen underscore Brown underscore on underscore vulnerability. I followed up daring greatly, Breen Brown, Rising Strong, The Reckoning. The Rumble. The Revolution, New York, Random House, 2015. The next year brought, Breen Brown, Braving the Wilderness, The Quest for True Belonging and the Courage to Stand Alone, New York, Random House, 2017. Introduction, Brave Leaders and Courage Cultures. What stands in the way becomes the way, the original source of this quotation isn't known, but it is generally attributed to Marcus Aurelius. To listen with the same passion, Harriet Lerner, why won't you apologize? Healing Big Betrayals and Everyday Hurts, New York, Touchstone, 2017. Part 1, Rumbling with Vulnerability. Section 1, The Moment and the Myths. To love at all is to be vulnerable, C.S. Lewis, The Four Loves, The Much-Beloved Exploration of the Nature of Love, San Diego, Harcourt Books, 1960-1991. When We Were Children, Madeleine Langle, Walking on Water, Reflections on Faith and Art, Colorado Springs, Waterbrook Press, 2001. To Grow to Adulthood, John T. K. Schiappo, The Lethality of Loneliness, Tex Des Moines Transcript. Published electronically September 9, 2013, slash John K. Schiappo on the lethality of loneliness full transcript slash. What I found through research, John Gottman, John Gottman on Trust and Betrayal, published electronically October 29, 2011, article slash item slash John underscore Gottman underscore on underscore trust underscore and underscore betrayal. 
Google's five-year study, Charles Duhigg, what Google learned from its quest to build the perfect team, new research reveals surprising truths about why some work groups thrive and others falter, published electronically February 25, 2016, nighttimes.com slash 2016 slash 02 slash 28 slash magazine slash what dash Google learn dash from dash its dash quest dash to dash build dash the dash perfect dash team dot html. Simply put, psychological safety, Amy C. Edmondson, teaming, how organizations learn, innovate, and compete in the knowledge economy, San Francisco, Jossie Base, 2012. Boundaries is a slippery word, Kelly Ray Roberts, what is and is not okay, published electronically March 22nd, 2009, kellyrayroberts.com slash what dash is dash and dash is not okay slash. Seek first to understand, Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, New York, Simon & Schuster, 1989. It's very hard to have ideas, Amy Poehler, Ask Amy, Negativity, Amy Poehler Smart Girls, 254, January 13, 2013, and smartgirls.com slash ask-amy-negativity-sec-8-eb-81-e-742. We are not necessarily thinking machines, Antonio Damasio, self comes to mind, YouTube video, 549, November 10th, 2010, yahoo.com slash watch, V equals A W T A O Z 0 G G. Section 2, The Call to Courage. It made me think immediately of Luke Skywalker, Gary Ports, producer, and Irvin Kirshner, director, Star Wars, Episode V, The Empire Strikes Back, motion picture on DVD San Francisco, Lucasfilm, Limited, Century City, CA, 20th Century and Fox Home Entertainment, 1980-2004. The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek, a Joseph Campbell companion, Reflections on the Art of Living, edited by John Walter, San Anselmo. California, Joseph Campbell Foundation, 1991, contains a passage alleged to be Campbell's words, as recorded by his associate Diane K. Osman in her journal, that expresses in more poetical form the concepts that have since become condensed into this more commonly cited, though not authoritatively sourced, maxim. This insight took us straight to the pages, Jim Collins, Good to Great, Why Some Companies Make the Leap Ellipsis Points and Others Don't, New York, Harper Business. 2001. Section 3, The Armory. In the past, jobs were about muscles, Elaine Elkin, interview with Minoush Shafik, published electronically April 1, 2018, Elaine Elkin interviews.com slash Minoush dash Shafik slash. I have a 13-year-old son, Kevin Feige, producer, and Ryan Coogler, director, Black Panther, Marvel Studios, Walt Disney Studios, 2018, James Gunn, Director, Guardians of the Galaxy, Marvel Studios, Walt Disney Studios, 2014. Engaging in our lives from a place of worthiness, Breen Brown, The Gifts of Imperfection, Let Go of Who You Think You're Supposed to Be and Embrace Who You Are, Center City, Minnesota, Hazelden, 2010, 1. That Thin Wafer of Consciousness, James Hollis, Finding Meaning in the Second Half of Life, How to Finally, Really Grow Up, New York, Gotham Books. 2005, 11. We are not here to fit in, James Hollis, What Matters Most, Living a More Considered Life, New York, Gotham Books, 2008, ZIE. As children we found ways to protect ourselves, Breen Brown, Daring Greatly How the Courage to Be Vulnerable Transforms the Way We Live, Love, 
Parent, and Lead, New York, Gotham Books, 2012, 112. Perfectionism is correlated with depression, Paul L. Hewitt, Gordon L. Flett, and Samuel F. McHale, Perfectionism, a Relational Approach to Conceptualization, Assessment, and Treatment, New York, Guilford Press, 2017. Globiforce worked with Cisco, Globiforce, Bringing Smiles to Hershey, published electronically, August 2016, globiforce.com slash wp-content slash uploads slash 2016 slash 8 Hershey case study underscore final underscore 8 underscore 16 point pdf connecting people, how Cisco used social recognition to transform its culture. Published electronically, July 2017, globiforce.com slash wp-content slash uploads slash 2017 slash 07 slash case study underscore Cisco point pdf The secret to double-digit increases in employee engagement. Published electronically, 2012, go.globiforce.com slash rs slash globiforce slash images slash executive brief double-digit engagement increase underscore nat point pdf Linking social recognition to retention and performance at LinkedIn. Published electronically, 2018, resources.globiforce.com slash case dash studies slash case study linked in. According to the National Council on Alcoholism, Sandy Smith, drug. Abuse costs employers $81 billion per year, A's Today, published electronically March 11, 2014, slash health slash drug abuse costs employers $81 billion year, National Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence, Drugs and Alcohol in the Workplace, published electronically April 26, 2015, cadorg slash about addiction slash addiction update slash drugs and Alcohol in the workplace. Shadow comforts can take any form. Jennifer Loudon, the life organizer, a woman's guide to a mindful year. Novano, California, New World Library, 2007, 43. It's not what you do, it's why you do it. Ibid, 42. All too often our so-called strength comes from fear, not love. Joan Halifax, being with dying. Cultivating Compassion and Fearlessness in the Presence of Death, Boston, Shambhala Publications, Incorporated, 2008, P17. Hope isn't a warm and fuzzy feeling, C.R. Snyder, Handbook of Hope, Theory, Measures, and Applications, San Diego, Academic Press, 2000. Despair is the belief that tomorrow will be, Rob Bell, Despair is a Spiritual Condition, Presentation at Oprah Winfrey's The Life You Want Weekend Tour, Various U.S. Cities, 2014. In their publication Making Change Happen, Just Associates, Making Change Happen, Power, Concepts for Revisioning Power for Justice, Equality and Peace. Just Associates, 2006, justassociates.org slash sites slash justassociates.org slash files slash mch3 underscore 2011 underscore final underscore zero point pdf. Power with has to do with finding common ground, ibid, 6. As Ken Blanchard ellipsis points explains, Ken Blanchard, catch people doing something right, published electronically December 24th. 2014, howwala.org slash 2014 slash 12 slash 24 catch people doing something right slash. The work of Dr. Stuart Brown, Stuart Brown and Christopher Vaughn, play, how it shapes the brain, opens the imagination, and invigorates the soul, New York, Avery, Penguin Group USA, 2009. The opposite of play is not work, Ibid, 126. 
True belonging is the spiritual practice, Green Brown, Braving the Wilderness, the quest for true belonging and the courage to stand alone, New York, Random House, 2017, 40. Bill Gentry talks about, William Gentry and Center, for creative leadership be the boss everyone wants to work for, a guide for new leaders, Oakland, Barrett Kohler, 2016. This is not really a moment to, like, celebrate, Karma Allen, number two. Founder tells Trevor Noah, Harvey Weinstein indictment isn't moment to celebrate, published electronically May 31st. 2018, and news.go.com slash us slash Matu founder tells Trevor Noah Harvey Weinstein indictment slash story. ID equals 55,552,211. Section 4, Shame and Empathy. Researchers Tamara Ferguson, Heidi Ayer, and Michael Ashbaker, Tamara J. Ferguson, Heidi L. Ayer, and Michael Ashbaker, Unwanted Identities, a key variable in shame m-anger links and gender differences in shame, sex roles 42, number 3 and 4, 2143 and 57. Current neuroscience research, Nehemiah Eisenberger, Matthew D. Lieberman, and Kipling D. Williams, does rejection hurt? Unfree study of social exclusion, Science 302, number 5643, 2003-290-92. The majority of shame researchers and clinicians, for the most comprehensive review of the shame and guilt literature, see June Price Tangney and Rhonda L. Deering, Shame and Guilt, Emotions and Social Behavior, New York, Guilford Press, 2002. Additionally, I recommend Deering and Tangney, editors, Shame in the Therapy Hour, Washington, D.C., American Psychological Association, 2011. While shame is highly correlated with addiction, Rhonda L. Deering, Jeffrey Stulwig, and June P. Tangney, on the importance of distinguishing shame from guilt, relations to problematic alcohol and drug use, addictive behaviors 30, number 7, 2005. 1392-404, Deering and Tangney, Editors, Shane in the Therapy Hour, Jeffrey Stulwig, June P. Tangney, Stephanie Kendall, Johanna D. Folk, Candace Rian Smith-Meyer, and Rhonda L. Deering, Children's Proneness to Shame. And guilt predict risky and illegal behaviors in young adulthood, Child Psychiatry and Human Development 46, 2014, 217-27, Tangney and Deering, Shane and Guilt. Humiliation is another word that we often confuse with shame, D.C. Klein, The Humiliation Dynamic, an Overview, Journal of Primary Prevention 12, 1991, 93-122. Teresa Wiseman, a nursing scholar in the UK, Teresa Wiseman, toward a holistic conceptualization of empathy for nursing practice, advances in nursing science 30, number 3. 2007, E61-72, Teresa Wiseman, A Concept Analysis of Empathy, Journal of Advanced Nursing 23, No. 6, 1996, 1162-67. I added a fifth attribute, Christine Dineth, Self-Compassion, An Alternative Conceptualization of a Healthy Attitude Toward Oneself, Self and Identity 2, No. 2, 2003-85-101. If people in powerful positions continue to hire, Beyonce knows. Beyonce in her own words, her life, her body, her heritage, Vogue, August 2018. Taking a balanced approach to negative emotions, Christine Neff, self-compassion, self-compassion.org slash the-3-elements-of-self-compassion-2 slash.
There's a fun animated short, Brain Brown, Brain Brown on Empathy, Royal Society for the Encouragement of Arts, Manufactures and Commerce Shorts, 253, December 10th, 2013, Brannabrown.com slash videos slash. Dr. Christine Neth of the University of Texas, Christine Neth, Self-Compassion, Stop Beating Yourself Up and Leave Insecurity Behind, New York, William Morrow, 2011. Being warm and understanding toward ourselves, Christine Neth, self-compassion, self-compassion.org slash the dash three dash elements dash of dash self-compassion to slash. That suffering and personal inadequacy is part, Christine Neth, self-compassion, self-compassion.org slash the dash three dash elements dash of dash self-compassion to slash. When we have understanding, Linda M. Hartling, Wendy Rosen, Maureen Walker, and Judith V. Jordan, shame and humiliation, from isolation to relational transformation, work in progress number 88, Wellesley, Massachusetts, Stone Center Working Paper Series, 2000. We are the ones we have been waiting for, June Jordan, poem for South African women, read by the offer to the United Nations General Assembly, August 9, 1978. Section 5, Curiosity and Grounded Confidence. Unfortunately, the trend in many organizations, Mary Slaughter and David Rock, no pain, no brain gain, while learning demands, a little, discomfort, Fast Company, published electronically April 30, 2018, fastcompany.com, 40,560,075, no pain, no brain gain, while learning demands, a little discomfort. A study published in Ellipsis points the journal Neuron, Matthias J. Gruber, Bernard D. Gelman, and Sharon Ranganath, states of curiosity modulates hippocampus-dependent learning via the dopaminergic circuit, Neuron 84, number 2, 2014, 486-96. Curiosity is unruly. It doesn't like rules, Ian Leslie, curious, the desire to know, and why your future depends on it, New York, Basic Books. 2014, Ziv. If I had an hour to solve a problem, the original source of this quotation isn't known, but it is generally attributed to Albert Einstein. It's not that I'm so smart, the original source of this quotation isn't known, but it is generally attributed to Albert Einstein. In his 1994 article, George Lowenstein, The Psychology of Curiosity, A Review and Reinterpretation, Psychological Bulletin 116, Number 1, 1994, 75-98. To induce curiosity about a particular topic, Lowenstein, Psychology of Curiosity, 94. Part 2, Living into Our Values. If you have more than three priorities, Kimberly Weasel, Jim Collins, Good to Great in 10 Steps, Incorporated, published electronically May 7, 2012, Inc.com slash Kimberly Weasel slash Jim Collins Good to Great in 10 Steps point HTML. But I'll be looking for eight, Terry Stafford and Paul Fraser, Amarillo by Morning, 1973, recorded by George Strait on the album Straight from the Heart, Los Angeles, Mcab Records, 1983. Spirituality is the deep human longing, Pittman McGeehy, interview with Dr. J. Pittman McGeehy, Consciousness Now TV, 4430, April 6, 2016, Yelp.com slash watch the equals 4 dash tuned bot 8. Love is not a victory march, Leonard Cohen, Hallelujah, 1984, recorded by Leonard Cohen on the album Various Positions, New York, Columbia Records, 1984.
I know I'm ready to give feedback when, Breen Brown, daring greatly how the courage to be vulnerable transforms the way we live, love, parent, and lead, New York, Gotham Books, 2012, 204. Part 3, Braving Trust. Choosing to risk making something you value vulnerable, Charles Feldman, The Thin Book of Trust, An Essential Primer for Building Trust at Work, Bend, or, Thin Book Publishing, 2008, 7. What is important to me is not safe, Ibid, 8. In a Harvard Business Review article, Stephen M. R. Covey and Douglas R. Conant, The Connection Between Employee Trust and Financial Performance, Harvard Business Review, published electronically July 18th. 2016 hbr.org 2016 slash 7 The connection between employee trust and financial performance. While few leaders would argue against the idea, Ibid. Knowledge is only rumor until, original source of quote unknown. I don't trust people who don't love themselves, Maya Angelou, distinguished Annie Clark Lecture, 16th Annual Families Alive Conference, Weber State University, Ogden, Utah, May 8, 1997. Part 4, Learning to Rise. Today, with millennials making up 35%, Richard Fry, millennials are the largest generation in the U.S. labor force, Fact Tank, News in the Numbers, published electronically April 11, 2018. Parasart.org slash fact dash tank slash 2018 slash 4 slash 11 millennials largest generation us labor force slash. The Song Riser by Dierks Bentley, Travis Meadows and Steve Mopler, Riser, 2014, recorded by Dierks Bentley on the album Riser, Nashville, Capital Records Nashville, 2014. I named this strategy after Ellipsis Points Dolores Umbridge, J.K. Rowling, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, New York, Scholastic Books, 2003. A Love of All Things Saccharine, J.K. Rowling, Dolores Umbridge, Pottermore.com slash writing dash by dash JK dash Rowling slash Dolores dash Umbridge. 1. Inhale deeply through your nose, Mark Miller, Tactical Breathing, Control Your Breathing, Control Your Mind, published electronically April 14, 2018, loadoutroom.com slash 2778 slash tactical dash breathing slash. In her book The Dance of Connection, Harriet Lerner, The Dance of Connection How to Talk to Someone, When You're Mad, Hurt, Scared, Frustrated, Insulted, Betrayed, or Desperate, New York, HarperCollins, 2001. Robert Burden, a neurologist and novelist, Robert A. Burden, On Being Certain, Believing You Are Right Even, When You're Not, New York, St. Martin's Press, 2008. Because we are compelled to make stories, Robert's Burden, where science and story meet, we make sense of the world through stories and a deep need rooted in our brains, published electronically April 22, 2013, Us slash issue zero the story of Nautilus slash where science and story meet. The only way I can get anything written, and Lamet, bird by bird, some instructions on writing and life, New York, Anchor Books, 1995, 22. Ordinary, mentally healthy people are strikingly prone, Jonathan Gottskall, The Storytelling Animal, How Stories Make Us Human, New York, Coden Mifflin, 2012, 109. The Stories Work in Fabulations, Ibid, 110. James Pennebaker, a researcher, James W. Pennebaker, Writing to Heal, a guided journal for recovering from trauma and emotional upheaval, Wheat Ridge, Colorado, Center for Journal Therapy, 2004. When you are in the middle of a story, Margaret Atwood, alias Grace, London, 
Bloomsbury, 1996, 345-46. Conspiracy is not limited to the stupid, Gottskall, storytelling animal, 116. To the conspiratorial mind, Ibid. Revolution might sound a little dramatic, Brain Brown, the gifts of imperfection, let go of who you think you're supposed to be and embrace who you are, Center City, Minnesota, Hazelden, 2010, 126. By Brain Brown. Dare to lead. Braving the wilderness. Rising strong. Daring greatly. The gifts of imperfection. I thought it was just me. About the author. Brain Brown. Ph.D. L.M.S.W. is a research professor at the University of Houston, where she holds the Huffington Foundation and Ash Brain Brown Endowed Chair at the Graduate College of Social Work. She has spent the past two decades studying courage, vulnerability, shame, and empathy and is the author of four number one New York Times bestsellers, Braving the Wilderness, Rising Strong, Daring Greatly, and The Gifts of Imperfection. Her TED Talk M-The Power of Vulnerability M-Dash is one of the top five most viewed TED Talks in the world with more than 35 million views. Brown lives in Houston, Texas, with her husband, Steve, and their children, Ellen and Charlie. Brannabrown.com Facebook.com slash Brown Twitter at B-R-E-N-E-B-R-O-W-N. What's next on your reading list? Discover your next great read. Get personalized book picks and up-to-date news about this author. Sign up now.